Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, Kara Matsukane and I talk about the missing in our society to fully support parents and especially mothers. Kara is the owner of Matsu Love, a business devoted to the physical, mental, and spiritual well-being of mothers. Kara believes that the wellness of mothers directly correlates to the wellness of our society, and she's passionate about nourishing the nourishers. As a professional aunt to nine nieces and nephews, Kara has a lot of experience supporting mothers and witnessing the struggles and challenges that women face when transitioning into a new identity after having their first child. With 17 years of experience working for various organizations as marketing executive, personal cook, sales associate, program facilitator, and personal coach, Kara has always been passionate about bringing love, joy, and purpose to people's lives. While recovering from alcoholism in 2014, Kara woke to a new reality of consciousness and personal responsibility. Since that moment of grace, she has explored various modalities of healing and personal growth so that she can continue expanding herself and being of greater service to others. In this episode, Kara and I discuss the modern day stresses of parenting without a strong support network and the importance of leaning into our communities to rebuild that support. Kara shares her approach to coaching, which focuses on guiding women and reconnecting them with their inner wisdom and intuition and how she uses the tools of mindfulness, healthy boundary setting, and exploring the multifaceted self to her clients. My whole philosophy is centered in that everyone is their own best source of knowledge and wisdom. And that if we can tap into our own inner wisdom, our own intuition, which I think we're so disconnected from, if we can connect to that, that we can follow life's nudges and kind of the flow of the universe and get sourced from more divine wisdoms. We dive into the opportunity as parents to break the cycles of family patterns, recognizing and consciously choosing what to pass down to future generations. There's so much that gets passed down both consciously and subconsciously from our ancestry. Again, going back to that internal guidance system of like, here's the, here are the things I want to keep for myself and pass down to my family and future generations. And here are the things that no longer serve us. We're not in that survival place anymore. So we don't need to pass them down to our future generations. We explore the impact of guilt on well-being and the significance of releasing it and the importance of conscious parenting to create healthy attachment, connection, and authenticity. We look at the role of embodiment and the need for mothers to reconnect with their bodies and the addiction to constant activity and filling every moment with something. Join us. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Awesome. Well, Kara, thank you so much for being here. I have been very much looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. Me too. Thanks for having me. So I have Kara Matsukane here, who is unlike anyone I have met before, which is so awesome. Like there's a lot of different offerings and coaching programs and, and self-development courses that are out there. And do you, would you call yourself a coach? What do you, what would, would you, what would your title be? I think so. I mean, I, I like to use the word guide, um, yeah. but essentially, yes, I'm, I'm coaching women. Yeah. And you specifically have chosen to work with expecting moms and new moms about really nourishing themselves and taking care of the wellness of mothers and 
there's a world to that. I have a lot of, to be honest, opinions <laughs> about mm-hmm. how our society has started to go in the direction and all of our individualism and how much our individualism has left parents and moms, mothers and fathers in these silos of no family structure around them to support them, which it's great. Choose your life however you want to live, but it's just interesting where we are right now where you're on your own, you've got a new kiddo in the world, maybe it's your first, maybe it's your third or your fourth, and managing careers, managing all the things of life, and we don't have that built-in infrastructure of tribe the way we once did that would have helped support all the pieces and how often in my career, I have usually later down the line, a year or two after, moms who come in exhausted, sleep deprived, you know, their endocrine system is still not readapted. They're they're going through so many different physical symptoms and managing a young toddler at the same time and like trying to put their health back together. That's kind of more the side I see. And so when you right. shared with me that this was specifically what you were out to do with your business, Matsu Love, and it's a business devoted specifically to the physical, mental, and spiritual well-being of mothers. I think it's really rad. And thank you for being a person to take that on. Yeah, no problem. I um I also have seen the issues that have come from no longer living in community, the single family household, and the pressure that gets put on moms. I've seen it firsthand. I have three sisters who are moms. My best friend's a mom. I've had the opportunity to live with them and support them as they've transitioned into parenthood. So it's something that I think is a lifetime worth of work, but it's it's work that's worth doing. So yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. So where do you want to start with this conversation? Like, what is the most important thing for you in the work that you do with women? Like, what are you hoping to achieve or support them in specifically? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think ultimately the number one thing, rather than giving them more things to do and what to eat and how to parent and, you know, like more prescriptive information my whole philosophy is centered in that everyone is their own best source of knowledge and wisdom. And that if we can tap into our own inner wisdom, our own intuition, which I think we're so disconnected from, if we can connect to that, that we can follow life's nudges and kind of the flow of the universe and get sourced from more divine wisdom. So that's been my journey in constantly aligning myself to that, recentering myself in that and discovering that inner voice and inner wisdom for myself and noticing when I choose to live from there, things seem to work out a lot better for me. And when I'm not living from there, when I'm more in my head, when I'm worrying about what people think of me, when I'm following what society says I should do or what other people say I should do, like things don't work as well for me and it and it's depleting. So my biggest thing is to return them home to themselves and connect that help support them in getting reconnected to their intuition. So that's number one. And then I think the second thing that I really center a lot of my work in is energetic exploration. So well-being from not just a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual standpoint, but like what is their energy field? I'm very interested in quantum physics and you know, the vibration of things, the frequency of things, where are they resonating at? And how do we, how do we deal with the frequencies 
that are in their energetic fields and, you know, let go of those things, release those things, clear those things so that they can resonate and love and joy and get health from that perspective. Cause I think everything else kind of works itself out if you can focus on that. And a lot of the work I've done personally, I didn't know it at the time, but a lot of the work I've done personally actually has dealt with that. And so I've had really profound and positive experiences dealing with that. And then kind of got the language afterwards of what was actually going on. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always, you know, for my own personal journey, and then also with my clients, like I kind of play the chicken or the egg game on some of that, where sometimes like shifting our diet or making a physical change in our life, committing to a new habit or routine, like going to bed at a particular time or drinking a certain amount of water, like starts to get us lined up with those energetics so that there's some space for it. But I also see a lot of people they get particularly for moms who are often caught in the conversation of having to check all the boxes and trying to do everything right and take the best care of their kid that they can. And there's so much information out there now of like the cradle to use and the specific diapers and the specific, like, I mean, I have had some new moms in my practice that go through the process of just sorting through the list of stuff that you're supposed to quote unquote be required to have in order to take care of your child and like getting all of, and then what has the BPA plastic and what has, I mean, it just, there's a lot of noise around. So to be able to shift away from the checklist and the doing and all of those pieces into something that's more internally sourced, I think is so important. What are some of your favorite tools to explore that with people? Yeah. So I just, I just launched a program on Sunday. We had a little mini retreat together and the kind of themes of the program that we'll be revisiting. The first one is about energy, that everything is energy and, you know, giving them a little bit of a bite-sized look into quantum physics and what that actually means. We talked about David Hawkins work and the map of consciousness um, which, you know, gives kind of an energetic scale of different emotional levels and, what your worldview is from those levels, what your God view is from those levels. So we talked about that. We talked about embodiment. We did a session of EFT tapping and really explored how dealing with emotions, dealing with recurring thoughts, going from a cognitive and intellectual perspective only gets you so far, but how do we get into the body and what are the different tools for getting into the body? So I really like promoting that and having women start to we always drop in at the beginning of our sessions. Like how do we experience being in the body, get out of the head? So there's that piece, there's the multifaceted self. So we talked a lot about different versions of our identity. There's my internal world, the inner universe that I have. There's parts work and how there's all these different parts of me. There's who I've been in the past. I think this is particularly relevant for mothers of how their identity shifts so much uh, when they become a mother and how unprepared they are for that. And then there's your future self and there's your higher self. You know, there's so many different aspects to who we are. So we explore a lot of that together. We also talked about mindfulness and we did some, what's it called? Mindful eating. Mm-hmm. Put them through an exercise where they, they chose a piece of fruit or chocolate and we kind of went through all five senses as they were eating that and really slowing them down and getting them in the present moment, which is also kind of 
crosses into embodiment work. And then boundaries is my other favorite topic. And not boundaries from, I think boundaries has gotten a little overused these days where it's more about like barriers or saying no or kind of hard boundaries. But I like to explore it from, shoot, what's her, I think her name's Prentice Hemphill. She, she's the creator of, I think it's like the Embodiment Institute or something, but she talks about boundaries as the distance from which I can love you and myself simultaneously. And it's looking at how do I accept myself and accept you exactly as you are and what distance in relationship do I need to you or to the thing in order to accept you as you are. So I really like that perspective and also kind of like defining who you are from boundaries. So those are kind of like the big themes we look at. And I have different tools, which in each of those themes, the program I'm running is a year long so that we can explore those gently and slowly, which I think is important for mothers. But I like to use all all of those in exploring well-being and starting to get them reconnected to their intuition, their instincts, their bodies. That's awesome. That's I just love the whole constellation of components that is. And there's a lot of things that you said in there that are super important. And one I just want to circle back on is the EFT tapping is emotional freedom technique. And we'll have links in the show notes. People can actually go and connect to these different tools if you want to get into it more. And it's that's one that's like, it's so simple. And yet I forget to use it on a pretty regular basis, but it can really make a huge difference. And it's just, you know, using acupressure points, right. To actually, you know, work with specific points on the face in order to help your body process. I've been working with a EMDR therapist for the last year, which has been really helpful. And EMDR is a form of using eye movement to reprocess traumatic experiences or semi-traumatic experiences. And whenever a trauma or high stress situation happens, our body gets stuck. And in that stuckness, things don't fully get processed by our nervous system. And so then this gives your body an opportunity to go back and revisit those things. Or when you're right in the middle of an acute moment of stress, or emotion or things that are coming up, it can help you be able to have that emotion flow. I always say emotion, energy in motion. It's much happier when they're moving and flowing than when they're trapped and stuck and finding these outlets and ways to move through them. It's really awesome. I want to talk a bit more about embodiment because I'm really like on this trip myself. Yeah, me too. (laughs) It's been a big part of my journey these last God, now I think three or four years, probably four really, if I look at what started before, but I've had this, I don't know, narrative, I guess. I kind of think of it like a storyline in my head. And, you know, with the the movie Elements that came out and Elemental and then Inside Out that was several years ago, it's like I have these different characters in my head almost. But what I started to get was if I thought of myself as my body, my mind, and my spirit as like three separate siblings who were all in the same family my spirit and my mind, my mind's kind of like the obstinate teenager half the time. And then my spirit might be like the semi quasi wise, like hippie 22 year old, (laughs) you know, in certain aspects. Right. And then my body was like this, like four or five year old kid who was literally getting dragged around from thing to Mm. thing through life. 
Yeah. My mind was like, oh no, we're going to go do this. We're going to move to Mexico. No, we're going to go here. We're going to, we're going to take on this five-year training program. It's going to be super intense. You're never going to sleep again. We're going to, we're going to go to med school. We're going to like start our, and my spirit's like, yes, this is how we have to explore. We're going to sit and do these deep ceremonies. And my body is just like, fuck you guys. I have never get a say. I just have to put up with whatever you two do. And I had a very specific meditation where like that little kid, that body, like came forward and basically was like, it's not your turn anymore. It's my turn now. Yeah. Like you two sit down. Yeah. (laughs) And that was three years ago. And I've been looking and working with and noticing how much I ignore my body. I don't listen to it. I don't ask what its opinion about things are. Like I eat what tastes good, what feels good at an emotional, mental level. Like, and you know, when I do, I pretend and talk about how this is for the well-being of my, you know, but a lot of my well-being is geared towards my mood. What's going to stabilize my emotions? You know, and that is predominantly where my symptoms come up. So I tend to put a lot of focus there, but I've just been in this whole exploration the last couple of years. And so what I'm learning for myself and what I'm seeing in my clients is a lot of dis-ease and stress and symptoms we deal with is this disconnection from ourselves. And I do have the hunch like that, that a lot of that is this lack of embodiment and disassociation is a big conversation yes. in trauma work. Mm-hmm. And that's been another piece of the puzzle for me to pull in, like how much I operate from a place of disassociation. When I get disassociated, I'm now starting to learn to be able to feel that and different. Oh, oh I'm starting to dissociate a little. Oh, I'm now more embodied. I wouldn't have used that language even yeah. a year ago. Yeah. Me neither. Right? Yeah. And so I just think this is, and so from your experience, what do you see about, I don't know, I'm kind of riffing here a bit, but like, I imagine the process of having someone else grow out of your body, literally, mm-hmm. and the transformative process of of being pregnant and becoming a mother. And there's other ways to become a mother than being pregnant. So there's lots of different ways to become a mother that, that there's got to be some specific stuff to that. What What do you see about specifically like like why mothers for you in in yeah. all the different groups you could be working with yeah good question i mean some of it is my personal relationships and how much i you know because i'm not a mother yet i have the capacity and the energy to care for the women who are nourishing our children so there's that piece in my heart being so close to it given my sisters and best friend are mothers and then there's also you know i hosted these free workshops a couple months ago about trauma and how trauma impacts our relationship to ourselves and our bodies. And, you know, I think conscious parenting has been such a hot topic lately in motherhood and in parenthood. And I know that it, it, everything I'm saying applies to both fathers and mothers, but obviously I just have, I've been called to work with mothers. So I don't want to say that this is only mothers, but I just want to clarify that it's for both, but I'm called to work with mothers. Um, there's this disconnection that happens in childhood as we deal with whether it's big T traumas, small T traumas, where we are dissociating or we are disconnecting from our instincts. Dr. Gabor Mate talks about this a lot. And it's no fault of our parents, but the society that we've been raised in and the way that we've been interacting as human beings does have us disconnect from ourselves because as, as Gabor Mate talks about it, like we have, we have our basic human needs, but then we have 
deeper human need to, in particular, attachment, healthy attachment to another person and connection, and then authenticity, which is being able to honor our our feelings, basically our true feelings. And often in childhood, what happens is because we need the attachment to our parents in order to survive, they are a source of, of food, of shelter, of our basic needs. We need that attachment. So we often abandon our authenticity in order to have the attachment. Because as children, we think that's what we have to do. Like I can't express anger because I'll get in trouble. I lose love of my parents. So I'm now going to shove that anger down and not express it. Something as simple as that can disconnect us from our bodies. And I think as conscious parenting has come up and I've seen my my sisters and friends trying to deal with that with their children and not let their own, you know, ways of coping with their with their small T traumas from childhood or 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 big T's, but I think small T is the thing that kind of gets less attention because it seems less what does it seem like? It seems less like people, people ignore the small T trauma, I guess, more because it seems less significant or something. But as, as you know, you're dealing with a tantruming toddler and you get triggered or reactivated and you're trying to both emotionally manage yourself while also trying to teach that to a child. And that's really difficult to do in those moments that are very charged. And then you yell or lash out in some way. And then you feel guilt and shame about that. I've seen women go through that cycle of wanting to be more conscious in their parenting, wanting to break some cycles of their families and not having a lot of access to that. So there's that piece that I think is really important. And then as you said, like when you start carrying a child, your body is no longer for you, or it might feel that way, that your body's no longer for you. And then even after you give birth, you're dealing with so many changes to your body. You're dealing with whether you're breastfeeding or not, your body no longer feels like yours because you're fueling your body in order to care for someone. You feel less freedom to go do the things you need for your body because you come last your children are always on you. I've heard a lot of claustrophobia from like not at you just needing space from like, just like there are no boundaries anymore. Your child is so attached to you. It thinks it is you. So I think there's that piece too, where your body no longer feels like it's yours and how to deal with that transition and the phases of that. Cause that, that's, you know, that is part of it. There's a phase of where it isn't just for you. You're actually growing someone and nourishing someone inside of you. So I think those transitions are what I'm interested in supporting mothers in. Like, how do you have boundaries when you're going through those phases? Or how do you make it okay when you're going through a phase where you might not be able to have boundaries? And how do you nourish yourself and support yourself so that you can then fill the cup of your child from a full cup and not an empty cup. And I think our society really rewards women and mothers in particular for not taking care of themselves. Like there's a lot of social capital that comes from sacrificing yourself for others, especially for women and mothers. So it feels really dangerous to me because I think there's also a lot of, you know, speaking of Gabor Mate again, he has a list of personality traits that are prevalent in people with chronic illness. After 40 years of being in the ER, he kind of mapped these patterns. And so many of those patterns are things that mothers are rewarded for, you know, putting Mm -hmm. other people ahead of you, 
caring for other people's emotions over your own extreme attachment to a social identity, things like that. And I think, again, it's like you have that internal driver to do those things. And then you have the social societal driver. And I think mothers are particularly susceptible to that because we do reward them from being heroes and self-sacrificing and all these things. And we're not helping them (laughs) instead, you know, resourcing them so that they don't have to do those things. So that was a very long winded way of answering. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And so you kind of pointed right to what I was going to get into next is like, what are the things that you see that moms are dealing with or challenged by that you feel particularly drawn to impact, right? And you mentioned a whole bunch of those. And one that you said that I want to come back and open up more because it's a huge area is breaking the cycles of family that has come before them. Can you speak more about that? Yeah. um, I think, so to answer your first question, mom guilt is the number one thing I want to, (laughs) I want to go after because if you look at the map of consciousness from David Hawkins, guilt is very low on that scale. And from a place of shame and guilt, you see the world differently. You're resonating at a different frequency. It's not healthy for your body. And you actually can only access certain perspective or points of view from that place. So circumstances might not change, but if we can help you let go of guilt and shame, which I've dealt with so much, I mean, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so I know the world of guilt and shame just as well as anybody else. But if you can let go of those things and move up that scale and access more, more courage, more reason, more neutrality, more joy, more love, those that you see things differently, the world occurs differently from those places. And it also promotes physical health. So that's the number one thing I'm going after and feel like it's actually possible to, to transform and get rid of. And uh, from, cause just from my own experience, I know it's possible. So that's the first thing. And then Yeah. Breaking cycles. I think I really appreciate the ways that I was raised you know, my, my grandparents on my Japanese side were in internment camps during world war II. They had all of their physical possessions taken away from them. So there's all that trauma that came from that. And then on my Irish side, both of my grandparents were given away as children to family members because their parents couldn't take care of all of the kids They were raised in extreme poverty. And so there's just so much that comes from those two very traumatic backgrounds. And I appreciate the ways that my parents have broken cycles for us and not allowed what impacted them by their parents to impact us. And then there's the ways that it does get passed down that are more, you know, harder to recognize so I think I, I've been very, you know, even just looking at something like body image, I know my my maternal grandmother was very hard on my mom. She was the only woman in the family with body stuff. And I really appreciate the ways that my mom did not pass that down to me. And then there's also the ways that we pick that up in our society. So just dealing with that and being okay in our bodies and feeling okay when we've gained weight, especially for mothers after pregnancy, you know, how do we deal with those things? And then recognizing the ways that the small ways that those things do get passed down kind of unconsciously. And how do we not pass that down any further to our future generations? I have three, four nieces. Sorry, it's hard to keep track. I have seven nieces and nephews. (laughs) I'm like, I have to count. 
but it's like, how do we, how do we not pass down to them the things that we inherited? So there's that whole piece. And then there's, there's just the ways that how do we express love? You know, I don't think my dad received much physical, um, physical touch form of love from his parents, but he, he's very physically affectionate with us. And I appreciate that, you know, that we we're changing things in those small ways. Um, and then there's the, the bigger things that, um, I know a lot of people deal with in their families that I don't feel as qualified to, uh, talk about, but you know, like the big T traumas, I know that's, yeah. that's a, there's a whole world that comes with that, that I am not trained in. I only know from my own experience and how I've healed my own small T traumas. But I think there's so much that gets passed down both consciously and subconsciously from our ancestry. So I've done a lot of work myself to deal with, you know, in finances, how how the whole internment camp and I my grandparents kind of became hoarders after they had all their their possessions taken from them during World War II. Like, how do I not let that impact how I see my finances? And then like I said, body image stuff. I mean, there's so, there's so many different things, but it's like, how do I have consciousness and awareness of the ways that I've inherited different thought patterns, different belief systems? And how do I have, again, going back to that internal guidance system of like, here's the, here are the things I want to keep for myself and pass down to my family and future generations. And here are the things that no longer serve us. We're not in that survival place anymore. So we don't need to pass them down to our future generations. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, there's a bunch of things that come to mind for me. One is to get into like the how do we go about doing that? But you've given some examples of even just like noticing what works for you and what doesn't work for you and upgrading something or altering the behavior. And then when you model that behavior for your children, you've, you've shifted it just right there. And then the other thing that's there is also like, this podcast may be something that people listen to and they're like, yeah, totally. I agree. That's awesome. Absolutely. Huh? And then what I'm really aware of is like what you offer of a year, which can seem like a lot, but also what you said about you do it in such a way that allows women to have the time and to do things slowly and not feel like they have to drink water from a fire hydrant the way that many things are in our world today so that they have the ability to integrate and process given everything else they have going on in their lives. They don't need a bunch more things on their to-do list. And like, for me, how important it is, I can have all kinds of intentions to like, look at my beliefs about money and look at my beliefs about certain things. And to, but I need to be in some sort of a structure to help have the time and yeah. the space that I've dedicated for, you know, and I can imagine, I mean, for me, for moms, for anybody, but to like, to say, this is for me, I'm going to spend this time and I'm going to make sure I have the babysitter or I'm going to have someone else with the kiddos or whatever I need to do to actually create that space and that time and give that to myself yeah. so that then I have the ability to even slow down and look and do the thinking and allow for that, like the raising of consciousness that right. that to go from it being a good idea and yes i agree to the implicate to to like the the impaction of our life the actual integration into our life like oh, would you speak to that like how do we go from like yeah yeah totally kara 100% to the like now how do i make that real in my life for my own kids yeah it's a good question and i think you know this podcast is called heal and what you're speaking about like 
having the space and the time to actually heal versus disassociate or repress or suppress, which is, I have, I have a, you know, master's degree in all of those things. I, you know, and I went from, I was very involved, you know, after getting sober, I dove in headfirst into the world of personal development transformation and was like, kind of became addicted to that world and that feeling the high that you ride when you have big, big weekend transformations. And I was always also like working 60 to 70 hours a week and I did not have space and time to heal. And it caught up with me. My body, my body would not let me keep going. I, you know, I got adrenal fatigue. I started having panic attack. Um, I, I was not, my body was reacting to all the stress that I was both adding and not dealing with. And a lot of adding more and more and more onto my plate, whether it was volunteering or working or saying yes to so many different things. I have a lot of energy and I can like go, go, go from 6am to 11pm and, you know, feel fine doing that. And a lot of it I had to recognize was me avoiding feeling things, avoiding processing things, because I learned very young that like, I did not like the feelings that I had in my body and I wanted whatever I could to numb it. And so when I gave up alcohol, I found other things like time and the, the addiction to doing and filling up every little space with something. So I think what I've had to do in the past couple of years is I've been healing, which is hard work. I mean, it's, it's not for the faint of heart and I'm really lucky that I'm doing that work before I have children that I have to take care of. And that since the women I'm working with do not have that luxury that I have, I've looked at how can I create structures for them that are a low lift in terms of time that they spend in my program. So it's, it's less than an, I mean, it's an hour a week at the most. We have like a, a, a workshop slash gathering that we, where we kind of learn a new distinction for the month at the beginning of the month. And then they have Reiki twice a month that are 30 minute sessions from me. And then we do an hour long guidance call. So it's a pretty low, low lift time-wise, but for a mother, that's not a low lift, you know, like making that time. And I think creating the time in the space is part of it for them. Like they need to learn how to ask for help. They need to rely on their partners or their parents or their friends in order to create that community and village that it takes to raise a child. So part of the program is how do I ask for this space? Because what I'm doing here is going to impact my home and my children. Um, and then I, you know, a lot of my philosophy, cause I've been a like dive into the shadows kind of healer, you know, like I'm going to yeah, dive me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning, this is like a very emergent program. This is my pilot program. I'm learning as I go, like, how, what is it going to take for moms? And I don't have the full answer yet, but a lot of my philosophy is more centered in kind of like wax on wax off philosophy of like, we're doing this stuff over here. We're dealing with where we have guilt. We're, we're implementing more mindful, you know, mindful eating. I'm trying to find more joy in eating. How do I add pleasure into my eating habits? How do I, you know, put my food on a pretty plate or take, a, take two minutes for myself to just enjoy my first bite and smell my food and look at my food and little tiny things of reconnecting to self. And then over here, things are getting healed. 
So that's kind of my philosophy for mothers. Stay tuned on whether that works or not. But well, um, I can I've, report from the field on the other side of 14 years of experience of working on awareness as a key part of healing. And I mean, I would say that's that's the core foundation of all the work I do with my clients is that, you know, repetitive over time, increase awareness, increase awareness. And it's amazing the results that come out of it. And like practitioner, practitioner, t- a tip of the trade is it's it's like a lot of things where it it may not look like anything's happening for a seemingly annoyingly long period of time. And then there's this breaking point where yeah. like a new realm, like a new reality really actually starts to show up. And and like people will go from, I don't think anything's happening. I don't think anything's happening. I don't think anything's happening to, holy crap, I can't believe I'm living this way. Like I, if you had told me that I was going to be able to do this nine months ago, and I find it's nine, 10, 11 months. I also have a year long program. I think there's yeah. a reason for that, you know, and, and I'm a long game kind of a person. And I really do find that it does. And one of the things that's worked really well with my clients is I do have them fill out, take some five minutes or less, unless they want to get really verbose, a coaching prep form that they reflect each month. What's working, what's not working, what breakthroughs have they had, what what have they observed? Where do they see they could take more ground? Just the act of the reflection itself starts to help. And a lot of times people will say, I God, I didn't think anything was changing. And then I filled out your form and realized like I've done a lot more than I thought I did. It the questions set people yeah. up to kind of do that. And I'm happy to share that with you. But yeah, I really I think that exactly what you're pointing to and it may seem incremental, but like I've talked about this a bunch on podcasts before. You may be familiar with Kaizen and the Japanese concept of making incrementally small changes that build up over time. You know, it's like bonsai is one of the classics we think of, but to do that in your life and that the actual, from a psychological standpoint, a mental load standpoint, the point is to pick a, a thing that's below your level of stress. The yeah. change that you're taking on does not stress you out at all. It's actually like your brain's like, that's not even going to work. It's not, right. it's not like enough. Right. That's what we want to keep you in that sympathetic or parasympathetic rest and digest yep. happy place where your neurochemicals are all working to your advantage. Your body's working to your advantage. But then over time, you're actually rewiring your conditioning. Yep. Like you said, pulling them out of guilt up into these higher levels of consciousness. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's another, there's another Japanese concept. I'm trying to remember the Japanese term, but it's basically like self-management of how, how to teach. Cause like you said, with the body being, did you call it your body, a teenager or a child? My body was the little one was like the five the little one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you've neglected this child for years and the child revolts, you know? So it's like teaching, teaching, others and having to learn myself to pay attention to the body and how, when we have more space, when we have the intention, when we're doing these practices like mindful eating or EFT tapping, like we're actually tapping into the body and listening to the body. And I think as I was uh, doing kind of a deep dive into trauma and reading a lot of Gabor Mate's work and looking for like, well, how do you heal? And because a lot of trauma is a disconnection from yourself and from others um, connecting to yourself again, connecting to your body again is an antidote. And it's because any kind of getting triggered 
is almost like your body is saying like, not again, like you cannot disconnect from me again. So doing a lot of work to reconnect to the body, to deal with your nervous system, to look at how all the ways that we've ignored the body. And that, cause that's the real trauma is when we, we ignore our own body signals for no, and we ignore what our body needs and the body almost becomes traumatized. So it's like how to reconnect yeah. and create that relationship again so that you're listening and, and almost like you're building trust with your own body. Abs, not even, I think you are like, I think it's literally yeah. like rebuilding the trust with your body. And, and I think that just what you said about the, the, the body signals of yes, this works for me or no, this doesn't work for me. And I know that's a lot of what I've been working on is recognizing how much I trained myself to not even be able to feel that anymore. Right. And so I, and I would say things at certain times of stress, like I can't even tap into my compass. If you asked me, should I go left or should I go right? I wouldn't even be able to tell you. Like, like right. I've lost that internal sense of self to be able to right. figure out what do I even want? And, you know, as unpopular as this may be, but I think the truth of it resonates in everyone's hearts is I had to slow down. I mean, I could say the same thing. I was working 60, 70 hour weeks. I was jam-packed seven days a week. I have the capacity to do a huge amount of work and I would be doing the equivalent of three full-time jobs and not even think twice about it and getting accolades and getting rewarded and getting cultural mm. yeah. you know, support of like, how extraordinary I was doing at all of that. And my body did revolt and I got chronic fatigue syndrome and I had viruses that crept up because my immune system got broken down and I literally had to stop. And I still stand by that CFS was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was just not going to break up with being a workaholic without it. Right. And when I did yep. slow down, there were the emotions that I yep. didn't want to deal with. And they were, you yep. know, and it's like, it's not comfortable. No, it's but not. It's so important and it and it's been so rewarding in the long run the level i mean like i'm actually just a few days into yet another time where i've chosen to go off of caffeine altogether and it's like i watch myself have this relationship where like i drink half calf i drink half coffee half decaf and even still it'll like creep creep yeah yeah creep, i get it creep, you know <laughs> and then it just becomes like well but then and then the afternoon and then and so i've cold turkey did again. And it's so interesting. It's I had the two day migraine totally on me had to do that. And I've had this like remarkable amount of energy and vitality today. And it's we're, this is short. We don't, you know, I'll report back from the field in another couple of months, but it's like really interesting how much I have this mental script that says the caffeine is what I need to push the go button to do the things to keep moving. And when I keep moving, I can handle everything on the to-do list all of that is inside of a pattern of disassociation of not tuning right. in, of not checking right. in, you know, yep. and then slowing down and starting my everyday with med meditation and drinking tea instead of coffee and like shifting some of those habits and like big parts of me do not want to do that. Sure. Yeah. I <laughs> but get that. It's making a difference and I'm feeling the rewards of it. And it's if, you know, whether or not I'm going to stay here permanently is like the experiment in and of itself is rewarding just to remind myself. And then again, to do the work, to pay attention. So like yeah. even these micro moments yeah. of the awareness that you're helping people generate is just so awesome. It's well, really I mean, you, with everything you were saying about not, not knowing, like 
not being able to tap into your internal compass. That's something I hear so much from women when they're asked, what do you need? They're like, I mean, and this was me and, and yeah. still is me a little bit. I've worked on it, but it's like, I don't, how do I even know? How would I tell you that? I would get angry at people actually. Like if my partner would ask me, what do you need? I would get angry because I didn't know how to answer it. So he actually, from the advice of a dear friend of mine, who's very wise, I, ch- he, I asked him to change the phrasing of how can I love you right now, which mm. really did help me because it was triggering. Yeah. It was triggering when he said, How, what do you need? Because I did not know. And I was ashamed that I didn't know what I needed and didn't know how to vocalize it. So I think that a lot of women deal with that. A lot of mothers deal with that. So it's how to, again, it's all about reconnecting to the body. And then speaking of ancestral trauma and that need to accomplish and do and make things happen and kind of bring home the kill of whatever you're accomplishing in order to prove your own worthiness for existing. That is something that is embedded in our culture. I don't know if you, have you ever heard of the NAP ministry, NAP? No. This amazing woman, you should follow her. She's on Instagram. She has a book, but she talks about how basically that capitalism and the need, the constant incessant need to keep doing things is from our, our country's roots in slavery mm. and human beings as commodities and how much we've tried to break the human body in order to produce, produce, produce. And so she talks about rest as resistance to white supremacy. It's badass. Wow. Yeah, wow. check it out. But I love that. I, you know, rest, rest is resistance to the patriarchy and white supremacy. And it actually does take a lot of courage to rest in our society today because yeah. so much of our, our collective worth is tied up in producing. So I think that's something we all deal with and have, has been passed down through our generations. I mean, yeah. So anyway, that, that's a, that's a great resource. And I love that empowering context for rest. I yeah, think that's, so that's huge. Yeah. And to be able to actually, I'm just starting to enter into this. Like I've had sleep on my treatment plans for a long, long, long time and it greatly encourage people to actually set themselves up into such a way that they may not have to wake up to an alarm, which usually means going to bed early enough. Right. That's, that's the, you know, if you go to bed early enough, your body naturally wakes itself up at a particular time. And, you know, when you're done, and, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, I frequently prescribe a full week, like more than seven days, like nine days, usually eight or nine days of complete break from life. I call it bed rest. It's not medical bed rest, but it's like nine days to take yourself away from everything and actually have no agenda, no accountability. This isn't when you're going to now finally finish the macrame project or the what it's literally just you and your body have complete and total freedom for nine days to do, you know, seven days internally with two travel days to do whatever your body needs. And if it's sleep 17 hours a day, you sleep for 17 hours a day. And I've had clients that literally are like blown away that they slept for four days straight. And they just couldn't believe that when they let themselves have the space with no interruption and that they had complete permission to sleep in as long as they want, get up, eat something two hours later, they're like, I laid down and I took another nap. I can't believe my body just went back to sleep and like grant that kind of deep, deep rest. Right. I'm also discovering I need to distinguish sleep and rest. Sleep Mm. is super important and so is rest and they're not the same thing. Right. And there's also a tendency in our culture where we rest by disassociating. Right. Yes. It's like pseudo rest, you know, 
video games and social media and scro- scrolling on our phones and you know we TV. check out yes we're checking out but is that the same thing as rest and what does it mean to rest and what is what do you need to rest and how do you rest and i can only imagine how confronting the conversation rest must be to moms in particular yeah. Well, and you know, that's something I'm dealing with right now personally is I've recognized that I have now turned, I I used, so I used to, I have my TV mounted to a cart so I can wheel it away. And then my partner moved in with me. And so now we have a TV in the living room again, and it makes it so much easier to just turn on the TV. And I started watching the morning show and it is like great television, but I've noticed my mood my productivity, my energy has been all depleted and impacted by watching TV. And now it's like a habit. And so I'm like actually doing a a television detox starting next week. And I'm very confronted by it because I'm like, what am I going to do? I actually just bought a, ordered a paint by numbers for adults. Nice. Yes. (laughs) But that is something that moms deal with. And, you know, you and I learned about cognitive load and how much scrolling through Instagram, watching television, all that impacts our cognitive load. And I've, you know, nannied for young children, uh, you know, about three years old and about a year and a half. And when they're both talking to me, my brain is scrambling. Like it is like so much, you know, sensory overload because they're on you and they're talking to you constantly. And so I can only imagine, imagine for mothers, how much they have a cognitive overload and that, and they're thinking of all the things, the doctor's appointments and the lunches and, you know, make, feels like you're making meals all the freaking time, all that decision fatigue for your yeah. family. And then when the kids go to nap and you have some space and time to yourself, you don't know what to do with yourself. So you end up scrolling on Instagram or, or watching TV or whatever it is. And that's the only way that's like the only thing that you can do. And then you're then also feeling guilty that you're not doing the laundry or there's so much to do and then you're not doing it and then you feel guilt. So it's like this vicious cycle. Uh, So that's another thing we're going to be diving into is like boring rest. That was one thing that when I was working with an Ayurvedic practitioner back when I had adrenal fatigue and I was working 60 to 70 hours, I used to go for walks on my breaks. I had an hour long break in a 12 hour day. I'd go for walks on my breaks and I would listen to like seminar tapes of like uh-huh. training myself to be a leader. And she was like, no, you're not doing nope. that anymore. Your, your break is now go lay on the grass for an hour. Like, don't do anything. Don't read. Don't listen to anything. Don't even listen to music. Just lay on the grass for an hour and ground yourself. And I started doing that and I couldn't believe how good that felt to my body and how much I didn't recognize how depleting the other stuff was. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be, you know, sometimes we just need someone else to tell us and give us permission to rest. 100%. Yeah. 100%. No, absolutely. Yep. Stare at a tree. Look at yeah. something green, you know, yeah. even mm-hmm. if you can't get, if you can get out to nature, I mean, I, that came through the pandemic and it, it's it been kind of amazing. I don't know why exactly it surfaced when it did, but these last few years I have routinely now prescribed for people to intentionally go out and connect with nature yeah, and just go be, go, you know, I used to say walk, you know, barefoot in the grass, which I still do. And it was about grounding and connecting, but even more is like literally just go be in nature. And that can be the postage stamp of green behind your house, you know, like a nearby park, whatever access. And they, the research has actually shown even looking at something green 
makes a difference. So yeah. if you can't get out there, just looking out the window and giving your eyes a break and giving yourself a rest and, you know, actually just doing just that it, it brings a piece in. So I just think this is so, I mean, at a level, a lot of this is getting back to the basics, but the basics are so much of what we haven't been doing and it's yeah. not sexy necessarily. And it's not the latest trend. And although some of these things are becoming the latest trend, which I think is awesome. And, you know, how we reconnect to our bodies, how we get embodied, how we reconnect to our intuition when we feel disconnected, how we're able to, you know, get into even recognition of the multifaceted self and, you know, all these pieces of mindful eating and emotional freedom technique and and the distinction between barriers and boundaries and hard nose and being able to actually just that, that definition that you created. I'd heard that before. I didn't know who to attribute to of what is the distance at which I can love myself and love you equally and honor both of us as we need to, you know, it's not always right next to each other, smushed up against each other. There may be some space in there and yeah, it's, it's really huge. It's really important work. I love that you've particularly taken it on for working with mothers and all that they deal with. And um, I'm just really grateful for the work that you do and putting it out in the world. And thanks for joining us here on Heal. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I, I really do see mothers as the gateway to the future, like in a very literal sense. So if moms can teach themselves how to reconnect, they can teach their children and hopefully our children and future generations won't have to deal with this that we're dealing with. So yeah. that's the end goal. Exactly. That's awesome. And we will have your contact information and your upcoming programs and how to work with you one-on-one, how to be a part of what you're offering right now will all be in the show notes for the for this podcast so people can connect with you. And yeah, I just look forward to hearing what's next. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be here with you today. Thank you so much to today's guest, Kara Matsukane, for her love and commitment. For all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.